1: I'm going to make sure that I bring up how um, Ohio State won despite the fact that they just didn't have a special teams unit at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jalen Marshall made sure of that. Oh my god. <laughs> just brutal. <laughs> they just kept doing it.
0: I have a story for that game that is very personal and is, is good. That, that okay. game is one of the changing points of my life as an Ohio State fan. And I can't wait to get into it. And that's what we're gonna do right now on the Hangout in the Holy Land. It's Patrick and I have just been bullshitting off air here for about five minutes. A lot of things going on with Ohio State, with Ohio State recruiting. If you've you, if you've been keeping up. But this year is the Hangout in the Holy Land. And we haven't talked to you guys in a couple of weeks. Patrick and I have had things going on in our lives, but we are back, and since there's no actual Ohio State football to talk about, at least on this podcast, that means we are continuing our series of the 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games in Ohio State history. I think that's the first time I've gotten that right, because usually I'll be like, the most memorable, and I'll be like, oh shit, it's the most rewatchable. Can't even Stay true to our own uh, criteria here, but that it wouldn't be the hangout in the Holy Land if that wasn't the case, Patrick.
1: Yeah, I think people come here to this show because of the uh, general complete lack of like preparation or uh, organized things or like the fact that Ohio State has landed uh, approximately 30 recruits in the last three days. And we have no plans to talk about that. It's very good. That's my official thoughts on it. I think Ohio State is good. (laughs) We are the Ohio State coaching staff before the Purdue game last year.
0: That is us. We're just emulating what we see. Um, So we're we're like halfway deep into this thing. When this idea first started, you and I put together this top 20 list, and now we're going to talk about games 10 and 9 today. Before we get through that, I figure we might as well just do a brief rundown of the games we've talked about so far to refresh people about this list. So real quick here, here's what we're looking like so far. At 20, we had 2003, NC State, absolute banger of a game. Uh, 19, 2011, Sugar Bowl versus Arkansas. 18, 97, Rose Bowl against Arizona State. 17, 2002, Michigan. You might want to skip that one if you have things to do that day because it'll put you <laughs> to sleep. Uh, 2016, <laughs> Nebraska at 16, 2006 Texas at 15, 2013 Penn State at 14, if you want to see a brutal murder, 13, 2005 Texas, 2009 Iowa at 12, and then 11, the 2010 Rose Bowl at Oregon. I don't really feel like we've missed on any of these. I know we've talked about some that may be too high, maybe we wouldn't have on the list, but all objectively very good games and I think a good start, but now... The rest of the games we have left, I think, are almost inarguable. These are ten of the best games in Ohio State history and the most rewatchable.
1: Yeah, for sure. The the top ten was um, when we put this together. We we both made our own list, and then we kind of made a uh, a composite of what should go essentially in that top 10 because we agreed on about 10 games and um the the top 10 was really really easy for us to put together and it it resulted in um a list that i think is pretty much uh reflective of what buckeye fans think in general would be the most rewatchable games I, i think that uh the top 10 when it comes to you know rewatchable when it comes to whatever um ohio state game related qualities you're looking for these 10 games are going to be the ones that really pop into your head first and um as we get higher up on the list we're really starting to get into some bangers and we got two bangers today
0: and i should say if you want to listen to any of those episodes go on over to apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show leave us a review and also head over to spotify just search the hangout in the holy land it'll pop up in your podcast feed Follow us there, and those are the two easiest ways to interact with the show. We're also on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. So let's, let's get right into it, man. Game 10, one of my favorites in maybe a top five game for me in terms of just fun I had watching it live and uh, the schadenfreude I got from watching it live, and that is Ohio State's 42-13 win over Michigan in 2015. There's a lot of places we could start with this game because a lot of things happen and a lot of very funny things happen in this game. But probably the best place, and especially given the way you and I tend to cover Ohio State, is this was the week after the Michigan State fiasco. The One of the first things we see on the broadcast is that Ed Warner is put into the coaching booth. With God, do Tim you remember Beck,
1: that whole that whole thing? That was ridiculous. <laughs>
0: like a disobedient dog. Ed Warner is put up into the coaching booth with Tim Beck 13 weeks into the season after Ohio State's <laughs> offense just an absolute shit show against Michigan State and they had all this sort of reporting on it. It was A major theme in the whole game we don't have to spend too much time talking about the michigan state game spoiler that one didn't make this list but man that was a change they made 12 games into the season i don't i don't know if you can even say that it worked because i i think that they almost won this game by virtue of just being so pissed off but that was ridiculous and i forgot about it and it's just funny to when you see the screenshot of Ed Warner and Tim back in the booth together. You kind of just want to cry.
1: Yeah, do you like do you remember following that that whole cycle pretty closely cuz I remember doing that. Like I remember reading all of the content on how Ed Warner was moving up to the booth and how this is going to fix Ohio State. And even at the time this was like before I was covering Ohio State and I was just, you know, consuming Ohio State stuff as a fan. I thought this whole thing was kind of ridiculous and like it wouldn't really make a difference. I think regardless of where you put Ed Warner, he was a bad football coach. <laughs> and then, you know, they move him up to the booth and Ohio State does this. And then um, the the Notre Dame game in the, uh, what was that, the Fiesta Bowl, which is not on our list, but also a pretty, Very pretty good game. Um, pretty fun to watch. The, you know, kind of the, the last go-around of one of the most talented teams in Ohio State history. But I don't think that moving and Warner around really caused that as much as it was just like Ohio state. Finally, after that Michigan state game, um, they finally let go of that insanely stupid concept of the grind and how they decided that the year after winning a championship, they were going to focus entirely on tightening up and making everything miserable, miserable for everybody. Um, which was similarly kind of what Florida did in 2009. Uh, and I, I, uh, I wrote a piece about that back in the season that I'm sure people will remember. But I think that the 2015 season is another one that kind of felt a lot like a, uh, a late-stage Meyer at Florida season, where it was just not fun. It was just not a fun season in the, the, uh, the Warner situation with the Booth and the Tim Beck situation, and then um, losing to, to Michigan State the way that Ohio State did. And just that whole season was so bad to watch all of it and then you get this game (laughs) and I, I think that I was almost a little bit concerned that the the true feeling the true joy of this game would be lost without the context of the rest of that 2015 season and on on rewatch I wasn't super sure how well it was eight, how well it would age, but it aged pretty well. I, it I ages think good. That, yeah. It ages really well. I think that watching Ezekiel Elliott run for, you know, 214 yards, um, watching JT Barrett run for 139 yards on just 19 carries. I mean, you know, this was really like Ohio state had struggled all year to throw the ball. And then against Michigan state, they just decided that throwing the ball was all they wanted to do. And, um, it was like they finally realized. Oh wait, we have Ezekiel Elliott. We could just run it with him. And um, I, I think that how miserable that season was up to this point really added to the the joyous nature of this game. And then on top of that, this was a pretty hyped up game. This was you know the the first um, the first Harbaugh Ohio State Michigan game, and Harbaugh had been the the topic of discussion for pretty much the whole season. It was at Michigan, and the the talk was really about how you know this might be the year that Michigan gets it done and then can beat Ohio State. Ohio State, you know, coming off a bad loss, and then uh, they do this, <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's still very satisfying even without the context of having to sit through that 2015 season again. Um, and I I think that just as a true football game rewatching without any context really needed, it it has plenty of uh of value as kind of a Uh, a feel-good game for for Ohio State
0: I'm still convinced that the 2015 team runs away with the national championship if they just lose to Indiana
1: probably probably
0: probably. or or (laughs) if they just lost the NIU game in the second week of the season oh god that's when we all forget
1: about the NIU game as being (laughs) the (laughs) NIU game is one of the
0: (laughs) it's one of the absolute worst Ohio State games I've ever watched but A couple of other things before we get into the meat and potatoes of this game that I remember just on watching this broadcast again. There was all the drama with Michigan State. Zeke obviously was a huge talking point with what he said after that game. But I totally forgot that Cardale just declared for the draft in the post-media the Michigan State A bunch of guys did.
1: He wasn't the only one. (laughs)
0: Like, that... Man, we need, I've said this before, we need a book on that team. If there was one Ohio State team I want to read about, it's that one. Because that season, like you said, was just so unjoyous to watch. Like there were moments that were super fun the Virginia Tech game uh Braxton Miller and that one but even that game the the first half and then the that first part of the game was not third nearly quarter. as
1: much of a blowout as people remember yeah, it as being.
0: <laughs> it was that game was tight for a while and then the NIU game was the next week and then I think it was the Hawaii game. I was at
1: that game also not fun. Not a fun football game.
0: That Hawaii game was 38 to nothing and they struggled so much on offense. That was probably the point where I was like,
1: okay. Not sure. This might guys. be
0: a really long year. It, it was just very weird. And that loss kind of just expunged everything for them. Like it, it got, I don't know. It, that's one of the weirdest things for them. And I guess we, we've seen that before. The Purdue game kind of knocked a little bit of sense into them last year. The Iowa game definitely righted the ship after you know they had beaten Penn State in dramatic fashion, but losing to Iowa was something that really flipped the light switch on. So that was kind of just a thing that defined Meyer teams. And the last thing I'll say about the Michigan State game, just a, a funny anecdote. So if you guys don't know, I write, I got five on it, which is comes out every Friday before each Ohio State game. It's just five things that I'm watching for in each game. It's usually pretty insane. But back when it was more normal, I guess, <laughs> uh, before that Michigan State game, I wrote something along the lines of like, you know, I'm not a super expert, but I can guarantee that Ohio State won't put up 178 yards like they did in the 2011 game against Michigan State, and then they went and put up 132. So that was the you most right. wrong they did. That was the <laughs> most. That was the most wrong I have ever been in my life. That was uh, that was fun. Great week, but we're here to talk about the Michigan game and. Right away, the first thing that stands out, obviously, to us, best jerseys that Ohio best jerseys. State yeah, has absolutely. ever bring them back. No coincidence that they rolled in this game. But you talked about the running game, and it wasn't just giving the ball to Zeke, which certainly helped, but the way that they ran the ball. A lot of outside runs, counters, counters with JT Barrett— the running game just looks so different and it really made a difference and none, none of this stuff was against Michigan State and then Zeke goes for 30 for 246 and two touchdowns against what had been a top five defense in Michigan
1: yeah the um the running game really it was like they finally found the thing that they hadn't really found for the entire season which was that um Ezekiel Elliott doesn't need to be a grinded out back he can get you know these big plays he had a uh A 66-yarder at one point in this game, and he just he kept gashing Michigan for these big runs, and um, you can certainly use him for efficiency a lot of the time, but like. You know, he was a guy who he didn't need to run between the tackles every single play to, to make a difference. And um, this game was like the first time really all season that Ohio State like let him run outside. And uh, that opened up the the passing game a little bit. Ohio State barely passed in this game. Uh, JT Barrett had nine total completions. He didn't really need any more. But it opened up the passing game a little bit. It certainly opened up the running lanes for JT Barrett when he did keep the ball on on read options. Um but it was like, you know, a completely different offense when you had the threat of Ezekiel Elliott, not just right up the middle. Um, and that's what this game felt like. It's what the Notre Dame game and the bowl game felt like where it was like Ohio state had a completely different playbook where they remembered, Oh yeah, we have, you know, sweep plays and we have outside runs and tosses and we can have our really awesome running back free and open space. And it was like, they just hadn't done all year. And, um, this was really – it's its not Ezekiel Elliott's best performance. I think his best performance is still coming up on our list here in a couple weeks, but um, it's certainly up there, and it was really kind of – brought on by the fact that Ohio State used him not just as a power back. I think that they let him run in space a whole lot more, and that was certainly what worked during the, the title run in 2014, and they finally went back to it in the last couple weeks in 2015. And it, it, uh, Looking back, it makes me wish that they wouldn't have just the whole season because I think they would have been a whole lot better if they did.
0: It's funny that you say that because it ties into that philosophy of the grind Because this team had so many superstars at skill positions. It's unreal. And they they almost actively avoided trying to make big plays. Like they were an efficiency offense, but they were in the mold of a Ferrari. And for some reason, that mindset of, hey, we got to grind it out after winning the national championship. This team should have just been racing over fools. This team should have played at the tempo that the 2016, 17, and 18 teams did. Because they have so 2016. many. Maybe not 2017 and twenty eighteen. <laughs> you look at it, there was no plan for Braxton Miller after that Virginia Tech game. He totally killed them. And then it was just like, what do we do with Braxton? They could not find a way to get him the ball all season. He doesn't even touch the ball in this game until seven minutes left in the second quarter it's a travesty that they didn't use him better that season or he didn't throw right no, he like he literally threw. threw no passes that th- just think about that for a second they had this dude who i don't know he was probably on his way to breaking a lot of major school records as a quarterback and i, I think he was okay as a passer but he had that threat and i know the soldier the sh- the shoulder was pretty bad but to just preclude him from ever throwing the ball or ever having that being a threat like that is just such a misuse of talent. Curtis Samuel doesn't touch the ball in this game until 7 minutes left in the third quarter and and there was a couple of creative ways they gave him the ball, but you could just kind of tell they even in this game they switched up the way they ran, but it was still a little bit of a grinded out philosophy. They go deep to Michael Thomas who makes a incredible catch and he had a season 2 where it's like, man, why, why is Michael Thomas just running six-yard slants? Like, you see what he's doing in the NFL right now. And this team really missed out on an opportunity to create big plays because the skill talent was there. But also, when you look at the offensive line, Pat Elfline has one of the most dominant games I've ever seen by a guard in this one. There are multiple times where he pulls, and he's just lighting up Michigan linebackers. He really kills a couple dudes in this game. And even... Almost five years later, it's just baffling watching this offense and wondering where this type of play was all season because they have dudes who are NFL, like all all pros, plural, on this on this team on offense and they just could not figure yeah it.
1: and I mean you mentioned the offensive line and I think that that's another thing that people kind of forget about this team that offensive line was really good like really really good it, it especially going into the season they looked really good on paper I mean what Taylor Decker was on that team Pat offline as you mentioned yep. I'm pretty sure Billy Price started on that line um I can't remember who it was that was the um, the right tackle that really struggled. I, that might have been the Chase Ferris year, maybe. Um, it was one in a long line of Ohio State right tackles who have struggled. And, like, they just let, like, having one struggling offensive lineman completely derailed the whole offense pretty much all season. And I, I think that... Um, it's really, really frustrating because they had four awesome offensive linemen, and they just couldn't really, they couldn't really work around having one that wasn't great. And I, I think that directly led to this offensive mentality where everything had to be slants, everything had to be, you know, six yards. And and I, I think that that was, you know, a misuse of J T Barrett. I think it was a misuse of all of the talent. J T Barrett was not a guy who could throw the ball particularly far. We saw in 2017 that. When he had an offensive coordinator who knew what he was doing, you could still create big plays. You know, you can you can create big plays underneath. And I think that in like a Paris Campbell type role, Braxton Miller could have been an excellent deep play. You know, big play, taking a drag route, eighty yards kind of player. And they just didn't do it. And um, it's like we're not doing a great job of selling this game because we're just getting frustrated about the 2015 season again. (laughs) Um, But it really is like. I think maybe the best thing about this game is just seeing all of the talent on both sides of the football for Ohio State. Because, I mean, this 2015 defense was obviously awesome. You've got, um, you know, Joey Bosa was back.
0: This is a tremendous Joey Bosa game.
1: Yeah, yeah. Joey Bosa, and you got Darren Lee, who was really, really good. And you've got a bunch of cornerbacks who were really good. And, I mean, one of the best defenses in school history. Really, I think this, what, the second to last fickle defense? He was still at Ohio State in 2016, right? Yeah, and they yeah. were really good. They, you know, they made a lot of plays. They pretty much shut down Michigan's offense entirely. Michigan certainly helped with that a little bit with some uh, pretty silly mistakes. But you know, there's just so much talent on this Ohio State team, and I think that that was probably, you know, the the thing that stood out to me most. Rewatching this was just, you know, like like you mentioned, pretty much everybody on the field was going to be in the NFL, and Ohio State just didn't ever really let them fully you know show how good they were and it's it's uh it's frustrating it's it's fun to see all that talent like actually showing out as they win this game but boy i sure wish they would have done it more than than twice in 2015.
0: when we talked about that 2016 nebraska game we gave that defense a lot of props and rightfully so i don't want to say this defense was right there but they were pretty close yeah this defense was salty as hell all season they were very talented from top to bottom and there really wasn't other than the Indiana game, there wasn't a game where they Yeah, second up. and opponent they held per their game own all the year.
1: Defensively. That's wild. Yeah.
0: They were nasty. <laughs> this they had all those dudes back. The there were some young corners that were starting to play well. The defensive line obviously was tremendous. Joey Bosa, Adolphus Washington just as a one two punch was absolutely filthy. Adolphus Washington makes a couple of plays in this game and then there's maybe three or four times where it looks like Jake Rudock yeah. is dead <laughs> on the field after what yeah. the the Joey Bosa hit. I'm sure everybody remembers that hit. He just absolutely pancakes Rudock, and then his the cherry on top of this game to me is that interception, which is one of the most freakish plays I've ever seen. Where he rushes Wilton Spate, snuffs out the screen, puts his hands up, tips it. Picks it off and then, like mid stride, doesn't break stride, runs with it, and he almost scores a touchdown. And that's when it's already 42 to 13. Yeah, we haven't done a great job of selling this so far as rewatchable. It's fun, I promise. That's definitely a reason. <laughs> is the defense, yes, this, this game rules. And one of the other things, too, we, we talked about Ohio State's propensity to, to grind it out. There's a drive that makes it 28 to 10 that Ohio State goes 16 plays, 84 yards, over seven minutes. (laughs) And it is some of the most big boy football you will ever see. And that they did that to a Michigan line that hadn't gotten pushed around that whole season, just beautiful to watch. When this offense was clicking, it was like 2014. It was efficient. There were big plays. There's the touchdown pass to Jalen Marshall, which he makes an excellent play on on a Michigan quarterback. JT just throws a dime in the end zone. So there there are moments where you just go back and watch and be like, man, when when it was on, it was on.
1: Yeah, I'm going to read here real quick the top 11 tacklers on the 2015 defense because this is a murder's row. This is an insane list. Um, so Raekwon McMillan, Joshua Perry, Tyvis Powell, Darren Lee, Von Bell, Tyquan Lewis, Joey Bosa, Garyon Conley, Adolphus Washington, Eli Apple, Sam Hubbard. That's insane. That's eleven NFL players. Off a quick glance, almost all those guys are top
0: three round picks. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, that's that's nuts. And and the guys that weren't were really good in college. You know, Joshua Perry was a guy who was awesome in college, and you know, Adolphus Washington went I think in the fourth round, and he was like you mentioned awesome in college. You you've got these guys. Just all over the field. I mean, even outside of that top twelve, you got guys like Chris Worley, who became really, really good later on in his career. Jalen Holmes is further down this list. Malik Hooker, Damon Webb. There's just, I mean, Denzel Ward was a reserve on this team. It's just, it's an unbelievable amount of of young talent, and you know that that was really kind of the main thing that always stood out about that defense is that, like, man, these guys are unbelievable. This is an NFL group of talent, and we get to see them in college.
0: Okay, we're almost 30 minutes in. We have to talk about Jabril Peppers. Oh,
1: God. This was maybe the maddest I got about this game, was the way that Michigan used Jabril Peppers. It sucks. Jabril
0: Peppers is miserable. Also, though, good at every position <laughs> except, except his own. Except running back. Except his own. Yeah, except Jabril safety, Peppers yeah. was the most <laughs> amazing football player because he was a terrible... Whatever safety yeah, hybrid yeah. linebacker, play him at in running every back. other position. He was great. Michigan's offensive game plan in this one was basically one play action, two fullback dive, three gadget plays with Jabril Peppers. Yeah, just stupid. This was just a dread. He even made some of the gadget plays
1: work. He aver- he was their best runner by far. <laughs> he averaged four point one yards per carry. Just use him as a running back. It's not that hard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was their leading rusher, seven <laughs> carries for 29 yards. That was oh the God. the way that we complained about Ohio State's defense. I would imagine that that's how Michigan fans have felt about Michigan's offense the past couple of seasons and especially in this game because it just did not look like they really had any sort. There was so much window dressing, and it really was just, hey, maybe uh, – our one athlete can beat the other dudes with 11 top-end athletes. And there were times where he made he something great. out of absolutely yeah. nothing. But other than that, Michigan just didn't look like they knew what they were doing, which is maybe a theme that we'll revisit on this list as we go on. But that, that was something that really stuck out to me. Uh, he also gets duked by JT oh Barrett on the touchdown run. Which really at that point I figure you would be like, uh, eh, maybe Jabril plays. Didn't offense. it happen
1: to him again in twenty sixteen? It might have been a stiff arm. I yeah. think it was a stiff arm in twenty sixteen.
0: It was yeah, it was the stiff arm later on in the it's game. It's very hard
1: to get juked by JT Barrett. It's very, very hard to get juked by JT Barrett. <laughs> he
0: he did and we'll talk about JT Barrett jukes another person in uh in the next game we talk about. But yeah, weird game for Jabril Peppers and Just goes to show what a what an athlete he was. Defensively, he was he was just a miss. Also, something that was hilarious, but also very unsettling at one point when I think it's 42 to 13, there's a shot, the camera pans to Jim Harbaugh, and Greg Madison is just behind him with this dumbfounded look on his face. And this is also something we can talk about in a couple episodes, but I was like, huh, that's funny, but. Also kind of not, given the circumstances yeah, hmm, now.
1: Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit worrying. Yeah, we. I, I think that uh, the official stance of this podcast on Greg Madison, at least from this side, is um, I hope he's good at babysitting because that seems to be his job. And Also
0: that he's not Greg Shion. He's not so Greg Shion. That he is named Greg,
1: which does mean <laughs> that Ryan Day understands we need at least one Greg to get mad at. What else from this game?
0: Those are all the notes that I have down. I think whenever you talk about the 2015 team, you kind of just have to bitch and run. Yeah. Like nobody can just be super positive about that team. But this game is absolutely going worth going back and re-watching because it's an ass kicking. It it takes a little bit to get going for Ohio State to get out in front by but about by the mid-second quarter you can kind of feel Okay, the the tide has started to turn in this game, and then by the third quarter, it's just a flat out ass whooping. They they really just put it on them, and I, I remember being so nauseous after the Michigan State game and thinking like, oh boy, Michigan has all this momentum. They just saw what happened last week, and then by the third quarter, I was I was stunned that Ohio State just ran through them like that. But this is one this is one of my favorite wins of the admire era, just post Michigan State and that team kind of letting everything loose. And it's unfortunate that it kind of started the trend of too little, too late for Ohio State when it came to playoff talk, which we've seen the last two seasons. But this was a game that I think was unexpected, but very awesome.
1: Yeah, I do think that it's, it's pretty funny that Ohio State has gotten, gotten into a, uh, a habit of like struggling late in the season and then turning around and beating the shit out of Michigan. <laughs> like lose week four (laughs) just lose earlier and then be good for the rest of the season like um this upcoming year just like lose to cincinnati and then be good for the rest of the year please (laughs) any final takes on this one um no i i think that's uh i think that's a good way to sell it there's there's a lot of talent this is an ass whooping um i remember watching this game i didn't actually get to watch the full thing when it was live um, because i accidentally cut my finger with a candle Uh, that's kind of the number one thing that i remember about this game was watching it as i was like getting my finger stitched up because i cut it with a candle um so watching it back was was enjoyable i I got to see some plays that i had never seen before and i i think it's a um i think it's a worthy choice for for number 10 here
0: watch this game and remember patrick strife yeah (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into uh, this next game we're going to talk about, I just want to remind you, go on to Spotify and follow along with the show, and also follow us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can find not only us, but everything else we do. Patrick, also co host our recruiting podcast, State Secrets. You can hear all about the newest Ohio State Buckeyes, the class of 2020, which is shaping up to be very exciting for Ohio State and everything else we have going on on the land-grant Holy Land Network. Okay, game number nine. Patrick, this is my favorite game of the Urban Meyer era, but not only that, quite honestly, this might be my favorite Ohio State game of all time.
1: It's a really, really good game. It's it's really, really fun to go back and watch.
0: I love this game so much. And I have some personal stories as to why this game is my favorite. And that would be 2014 Michigan State, Ohio State's 49 to 37 win in East Lansing. For me, The first couple of things that make this game not only top 10, but just personally so much fun for me. One, ultimate revenge game after the 2013 Big Ten Championship and how bitter of a loss that was. One that, you know, you and I, when Ohio State loses, we tend to talk about everything Ohio State did wrong and how disappointing it was and how frustrating it was that they lost. And while there's certainly things to go back and look about, and that 2013 uh, Big Ten Championship against Michigan State, that was also just a very talented Michigan State team. And I always walked away from that one just feeling like, man, they they deserved it. Like they punched Ohio State in the mouth. And that almost made it worse where it was just, that game was just a gut punch. Like they deserved to win. And that was the point where I was like, oh man, they still got, a little. They have another peak to climb before they're a national championship team. Like they had won all those games in 2012. They hadn't lost in 2013. And then this just extremely sound and fundamentally good Michigan State team punched them in the mouth, and that was kind of tough to swallow. And I feel like this was the game that this was the defining game that set up the playoff run.
1: Yeah, and um, not not to go on too much of a tangent, but I, I have always. Kind of that that 2013 Michigan State game is a really interesting kind of nugget of Ohio State history that I think is going to be uh, hopefully not lost to time, but I think it might be lost to time a little bit. And this is uh, one of my stronger Ohio State takes, and uh, it, it's always uh, people get frustrated when I when I say this Ohio State. Like you, you know, you mentioned it how Ohio State usually beats itself, and that's what we get so frustrated about when Ohio State loses. It's usually not because the other team was able to to grind out a win with more talent or with, with better coaching. It's that Ohio State was not taking advantage of opportunities that they had. I think that that 2013 game, Ohio State did what Ohio State did all year. And um, I, I think that the frustration about not running Carlos Hyde on that fourth down play that ended up losing them the game is certainly warranted. Um, but I've always thought, like, you know, Ohio State got to that point because they ran Braxton Miller. You know, Ohio State built their entire offense in 2013 on Braxton Miller running. And as frustrating as it is that it, it didn't work, that was, you know, that, that was what they did. And it was a, a fourth and short, short and they ran the guy who they ran all year and it just didn't, it didn't work. So I think that that's one of the more unique Ohio State games because it certainly, it's it's one of the few where the other team was just better and they just, you know, Michigan State called the right play at the right time. And I, I think that it's, it's hard to get too frustrated about that.
0: That game set up this game and that was the talk all week about this being whether it was a revenge game and Ohio State to their credit really didn't bite at least in terms of giving Michigan State sound bites but almost all of them to a man said like yeah we remember what happened last year and we're fired up and Michigan State too on the other hand they weren't necessarily talking shit but it was like yeah we we remember too and we want to do it again and so it just set up this big heavyweight fight feel that, honestly, you don't see a lot in the Big Ten. And at this point, I think Ohio State was 7-1. and They were 14th in the country. Michigan State was also 7-1 and and 8th. And that one loss was to Oregon, who we'll talk about here in a couple of episodes. And that was a really good game that they went into. Eugene fell behind early, rallied, but then ultimately lost. So this was... This was like this felt like an SEC game. It felt like an SEC night game, and it's funny that I bring that up because this is why this game is definitely my favorite. Story time, Patrick. Okay, let's do it. This game was the same night as Alabama LSU that I think was played in Baton Rouge. Both of those teams were top five. It was AJ McCarron the AJ McCarron game where they threw the screen. I think to, to win that game or not AJ McCarron. It was uh, Blake Sims. Sims. And they threw the screen at TJ Yeldon in the fourth quarter with like what a minute left. And they win the game in dramatic fashion at LSU. And it kind of solidifies that, okay, Bama's winning the SEC West. They're going to the playoff probably. So these games were going on at the same time. And I had been with my friends all day. You know, we were just kind of out Hanging out, watching college football, drinking, and it was kind of ramping up to, okay, let's, let's get to these two games and let's really get the party started. But as the only Ohio State fan, everybody else wanted to watch LSU-Bama. So I'm at my best friend's house with maybe 12 or 13 other people there. And they're all upstairs on the main room. And I'm in the basement by myself. And I was so nervous for this game that I just start throwing down Coors lights left and right. By the first quarter... I was on another planet, (laughs) literally my worst behavior ever as an Ohio State fan. I am in my best friend's basement, almost every play, just screaming my lungs out, going absolutely wild. (laughs) Just like, it it was embarrassing. Like, mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I've embarrassed you as a son. It, It was the worst I've ever acted. During a game. And like, even when they're winning, like, I'm just screaming on every single play. JT Barrett's running for four yards. Hell yeah. Let's f-ing go, boy. Just like enough to where, like, if somebody called the cops, it would have been warranted. <laughs> like, it was that bad. And I've never been like that before or since. But there was something about this game that just took me to the next level, other than the, all the bush light I was drinking. But I was super fired up. And how this game was played lended into that because it's a game of nothing but. Massive plays like on each side of the ball for Ohio State and Michigan State, nothing but big plays. And ultimately, this is the first time that I thought that they had a shot of winning the national championship under Meyer, or I was like, okay, this 2014 team, like they've gotten past the Virginia Tech game. This is it. They're they're on the run now. So that's why this game is my favorite, because I was an (laughs) asshole for this game. I
1: was bad. This is really, like you you mentioned it, how it kind of captures that really special um, primetime, like huge matchup feel that the the SEC, and to a lesser extent uh, a couple years ago when like Clemson and Louisville were both awesome, the ACC, um, really have kind of a... Um, kind of a monopoly on recently, where you you just don't have, you know, Ohio State has dominated in the Big Ten recently, and you you have night games against, like, Penn State that are pretty awesome, and uh, sometimes when Michigan State is good, like this game, is it's pretty awesome, but um, there's just not a ton of those marquee top ten matchups in Big Ten play because there's really not all that many great teams in the Big Ten. There's a whole lot of pretty good teams, and then there's Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, and um, unfortunately, Ohio State and Michigan don't play at night, so you're you're missing out on a primetime opportunity every season because of that. But this really, really did have that, um, you know, going in, it has that feel of, like, you know, these are two massive, massive teams, massive programs. Um, Ohio State was only 14th at this time, which was um, a result of the, the Virginia Tech loss looking worse and worse every week and the fact that Ohio State really hadn't become – um, the the dominant force that they would eventually be this season, but you know this was like you said, a, I mean it was a pretty obvious revenge game. It was a game where uh, if Ohio State wanted to be taken seriously, they had to beat Michigan State, and they had to do it at Michigan State. And um, this was like I think maybe one of the more hyped Ohio State games that I can remember in the last few years, especially the the Meyer era. And it absolutely lived up to that hype. I, I think that this is maybe the most satisfying revenge game that I can remember, because um, you know the, the the big blowouts like the game we just talked about in twenty fifteen Michigan, um, you know big blowouts like that against rivals against great teams are always satisfying for sure. But winning a game like this where It was so back and forth. You know, it's uh, Michigan State leads 21-14, very nearly pulling away at the end of that, that second quarter where Ohio State has... That's where they have the the muffed uh, kick, right? The the kick return where like Michigan State is yeah. a uh, a holding call away from completely blowing this game wide open. Um, you know they they have a touchdown and then there's the the holding that pushes them back. They miss the field goal. Ohio State gets the ball and immediately the the Michael Thomas slant route for a touchdown, and then Ohio State gets the ball back again and Devin Smith scores and you've got that. Kind of iconic JT Barrett Devin Smith moment where Devin Smith is like shushing the crowd right before halftime. And it goes from Michigan State very nearly being up two scores at the half to Ohio State leading by seven. And then Michigan State comes right back out with an absolutely brutal drive. I mean, 12 plays, 56 yards, six minutes, 22 seconds, uh, kicks a, a 40 yard field goal. And you're thinking, you know, oh, here it goes again. But then you know ohio state responds with their own enormous drive their team plays 67 yards 6 minutes 20 seconds and the uh, the Zeke 1 yard touchdown run and then so it's it's just back and forth for like the first three quarters and then ohio state pulls away and that's it it's it's like ohio state finally realizes you know they're the more talented team and they they can just punch michigan state in the mouth and they they do it and the final score was a little bit closer than the the game actually ended up being in the fourth quarter because of a, a late Michigan State touchdown. But the first three quarters of this game were just awesome. It was just these these massive knockout punches back and forth and back and forth. And um, it, it really had the feel of like a, a top five battle, even though neither team were, were in the top five. I, I think that the talent – and the, um, the the pure hatred on the field in this game is is something really really special.
0: JT Barrett, man, I I feel for JT uh, to second that point. Tom very Hurt very hell very of a good.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: I just whenever we talk about JT, I feel like people forget what he, was he awesome. did that season. Was he a, a dude that was making NFL throws consistently? Especially by the time he left, no. I think it's clear JT regressed a lot after this season, and I think that had less to do with him and more with how he was managed and how the coaches treated him and how he was used, but the, the touchdown throw, 50 yards on the money on the money to Devin Smith down the field. The third and 23 throw <laughs> to Devin Smith it's uh, near the sideline outside the numbers, <laughs> on the money, I, I will argue all day with anybody that says that JT Barrett couldn't throw. By the end of his career, yeah, yeah. Like I you have a great point. We've talked about it on this podcast. I, I said it during the 2016 season. But I don't think his fault because I have gone yeah, back he, and watched J. T. Barrett talent. in 2014, and he, he was, was good. Yeah. <laughs> he was really, really good as a thrower. And he was limited, but they used him to his capabilities. And I think next to the 2017 Penn State game this is JT Barrett's masterpiece. He's 16 to 26, 300 yards, three touchdowns throwing, 14 carries, 86 yards, two touchdowns running, a couple of short uh, third downs, fourth down conversions. Um, he, has, he has the 55-yarder where he like hurdles over somebody and kind of that helps put the game away after Michigan State I think makes it a one-score game and then he immediately goes 55 yards down the field late in the game. But just an otherworldly performance from JT Baird in this game and it really just made me think like, man, I, I'm sad for him in a way that they shot his confidence so much because it, it really never was the same after yeah, this and,
1: season. You know, I, I think part of that had to do with the ankle injury against Michigan and he just never really was the same again. And um, you know, Ryan Day, I think having a capable quarterbacks coach and coordinator like ryan day showed that he did still have the talent to to make some plays but he certainly didn't have the the deep ball accuracy or ability anymore in 2017 he really did in 2014 he he had that talent and it's uh it's too bad that we never got to see what a fully healthy career for for jt barrett with good coordinators would have looked like because he was just Unbelievable in this game. And this was really, you know, we, we mentioned how this was a revenge game. This was also kind of a prove it game for Ohio State, where after that Virginia yeah. Tech game where JT struggled so, so, so much and just could not get his footing, couldn't ever really figure out exactly what he was doing, you've got Ohio State turns around and crushes Kent, Kent State. They beat Cincinnati. They beat Maryland. They beat Rutgers. They have the, um, the really close, I think this was the overtime game against Penn State where, um, you know there's the uh the walk-off sack for uh, for Joey Bosa yeah Joey
0: Bosa blows up the whole Penn State line. yeah A-forged a game that I fell
1: asleep during and did not see the end of <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then you've got the Illinois game after that coming into the Michigan State game where the first ranked opponent for Ohio State in this run where you know they had run they had won six straight but they hadn't really done it against anybody um and JT Barrett had looked good, but he hadn't really done it against any great defenses. And this was kind of the, you know, okay, is this guy for real? Or is he just lighting up bad defenses? Because Ohio State was still going to have to play um, not a not a good Michigan team, but they were still going to have to play Michigan. They were still going to have to play Indiana and Minnesota. And presumably if they won those games, they would have to play a Big Ten championship game. And this was kind of the, you know, is, is JT for real or not? And he just absolutely lights him up. I mean, the the Penn State game, as you mentioned, certainly deserves to be in the conversation. I think this is absolutely JT's best game. Uh, when you factor in just how explosive the offense was, when you factor in how accurate he was. I mean, the, the pass to Dontre Wilson that kind of puts this game away went in essentially <laughs> yep. the only place it could possibly go. I mean, he – like the – the pass would have been out of bounds if it wasn't caught. I mean, he threw the ball out of bounds and Dontre had to like snatch it because he was the only one that could possibly get to it. Um and, you know, you add that to fourteen carries, eighty-six yards, two touchdowns. Like this was I, I really think that this was JT's mastery. And it was really his game to kind of lead Ohio State and to kind of prove himself as a passer and as a, a quarterback capable of playing at Ohio State because, I mean, he was still at this point a a redshirt freshman who was, you know, he was certainly putting up numbers, but he hadn't done it against anybody yet. And I, I think that this was not necessarily his coming out party, but this was certainly his, you know, announcement that he was for real.
0: I think that goes the same for Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, too because he has, what, 23 carries, 154 yards, two touchdowns, that beautiful cutback run for a touchdown to seal the game. And at that point, he had rushed for 182 yards against Cincinnati, 139 uh, against, what, I'm looking at it right now, Rutgers or Maryland. And the Illinois game, he only had nine carries for 69 yards. At that point, he was like the feature back, but they were also giving carries to other guys This game, he really established himself as Ezekiel Elliott is the number one back and also like, okay, this guy might be a superstar. He is really talented, and there are a couple runs where he hits the corner, and it looks like he's going to get two yards, which is still the Zeke staple, even for the Cowboys now, where it looks like he's going to get stopped for a loss here, and he picks up eight. He does that a couple times and that was the first time I remember thinking, man, this guy's really good and he's going to be something special and he he just has he really showcased that in this game and if it wasn't JT Barrett's coming out party, it was definitely Zeke Elliott's.
1: Man, this team was awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were good this 2022.
1: They were real good. Was, this they were just so much fun and um I I remember like when he had first arrived at Ohio State, there were a lot of questions about Tom Herman, you know, as a as a play caller because he had come from, what, Iowa State where he wasn't great? I mean, they didn't put up huge numbers. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that Herman or uh, Larry Johnson has to go down as the, the best Meyer hire at Ohio State, right, because like this, this offense, 2013's offense, they were just so good at Everything. I mean, 2013, they couldn't pass a ton, but they still made it work, even with a quarterback and Braxton Miller who didn't really like to throw them all that much. And um, and then 2014 with a redshirt freshman quarterback who didn't have that strong of a natural arm. Ohio State's offense was just unstoppable. I mean, you know, it it certainly it kicked into another gear when they had Cardale Jones and they they simplified the offense for him on the fly, which is still one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Is Tom Herman completely changing that offense for the, you know, the last three games of the season against the three best teams that they would play that season, uh, while he's halfway out the door on his way to Houston. That's like, you know, I, I still remember him wearing the Houston hat in the celebration after that national championship game. That's seriously one of the most impressive coaching feats I've maybe ever seen. It's it's really it's it's hard to say enough about how impressive he was as a play caller and as a play designer at ohio state and i think that this this offense was just spectacular really all season but they especially picked it up after this game and um the the defense which wasn't great to this point they they kind of you know like another like the offense they kind of figured it out in the last three games but You've got a lot of young guys who ended up being really, really good in the future. You know, this is a, a pretty young Joey Bosa, pretty young Darren Lee, um, Gary Conley, Joshua Perry. Pretty much all the guys that we named on the 2015 roster are still on this group, and you can kind of see them clicking and figuring out each game as they give up a, a pretty decent number of points and yards. This is just the, the 2014 team was just so much fun, and obviously they've been talked about. Plenty because they won the national championship, but it just what a uh, what a collection of, of talent both on the the coaching staff and on the roster.
0: Do you remember when Urban Meyer would talk about wanting the 250-250 split on offense? No, no, that's no. for all the bad Urban Meyer cliches. I know some of the listeners are gonna know what I'm talking about. He would always say in this era of Ohio State in his tenure would say that the ideal for them is to have 250 yards rushing. 250 yards passing and this was a game where they had 268 yards rushing and 300 yards passing against a very good Michigan State defense who wasn't quite as good as what they were in 2013. I think they they were 14th in defensive S&P plus but to put in perspective just how dominant Ohio State's offense was in this game. Michigan State played Oregon earlier in the year, which I think was the best offense in the country, and then Baylor, which was either one or two in the Cotton Bowl, another crazy ass game. Oregon had 7.2 yards per play. Baylor had 7.8. Ohio State has 8.4 yards per play. That is, They were almost averaging a first down literally every time that they snapped the ball. That is how good the offense was. And they they just had everything working. They had 320 yards at half and Michigan State was allowing 279 yards per game. So they already smashed through that. And it it just felt like they had the perfect mixture of what they wanted to call the personnel to call it with, because you see a bunch of guys get involved. Zeke obviously does his thing. Uh, Dontre Wilson catches. Dontre Wilson did not have a great game, game but he no, did he, catch did. The touchdown. he did not. And we can get to that. But offensively, <laughs> he he catches the touchdown. He also has that insane drop yeah. near the end zone mm-hmm. on that long throw. Michael Thomas on the slant route, just get off of me and takes it to the house. So you had contributions by everyone. The offensive line just mauls Michigan State's front seven, and it it's just fun to go back and watch oh, and see how balanced they were and. Just hoping to God that this year's offense is as balanced as uh, a, <laughs> as that one was. Jalen Marshall, mm. so so infuriating. <laughs> we talked about Dontre Wilson, Jalen Marshall, just maybe one of the most infuriating Ohio State players of all time.
1: Would you prefer that he goes back there and just points at the ball uh, when he's receiving <laughs> punts, or <laughs>
0: <laughs> no? Because Jalen Marshall also made he plays. <laughs>
1: He was a weapon, dude.
0: <laughs> he doesn't charge on the punt that's fumbled. And the announcers blame it on Jeff Green. Shout, shout out to Jeff Green, Georgia Tech transfer. Like okay, I led. He just he completely they completely just hang Jeff Green out to drive. Like he didn't see the ball when Jalen Marshall just doesn't step up and take a fair catch. But then he has some nice runs out of the Wildcat after that happens, and then a really good punt return before halftime. And Jalen Marshall, man, maybe the most ultimate boomer bust Ohio State player in the last 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Having Jalen Marshall and Dontre Wilson on the same team is, is really like, that's an insane amount of, uh, of, uh, like, volatility that you could possibly have at your receiver group like just really anything could happen anything at all could happen and um i i mentioned like before the show when we were just talking about how i wanted to talk a little bit about how um Ohio State won this game entirely, like in spite of pretty awful special teams. I mean, you've got Sean Nurenberger missing a kick on the first drive. You've got um, what was it? Two fumbles on special teams related plays. A third almost fumble. I think that Ohio State ends up recovering, but um, you've got the the Dontre Wilson drop, as you mentioned. Uh, just like... He had a rough day. He had a rough day, and then he He also the, broke his foot in this he game, did. too, he didn't broke he? broke his foot. I think he broke his foot on the touchdown, didn't he? <laughs> I I, yeah. I feel like I remember it being... Oh, man. Yeah. Rough career <laughs> for Don <Trey> Wilson. <laughs> but... Um, You know, Ohio State has all these weird things happening against Michigan State, which is the team you don't want weird things to happen against. You know, if if you're going to beat Michigan State, you're going to do it by not having any weird things happen because that's all they want. They want there to be chaos and just stupid things happening. And Ohio State fed right into that, and they still won. It was like... You know, and, and Ohio State certainly was the benefit of the the beneficiary of some some dumb special teams plays as well. And you know, as I mentioned, Michigan State very nearly opening this game up and and getting the uh, the touchdown called Almost back. Almost got out forward. of hand. Yeah, it very nearly got bad for Ohio State. And then you know, Michigan State misses that kick, and Ohio State turns around and immediately turns it into a seven point lead after being down by uh by 7 very nearly down by 14 so really a, a 21 point swing here at the end of the second quarter but um, just like this this game is loaded there's so much stuff that happens in this game and it's it's such a a heavyweight fight and it really feels like it was you know deserving of the the primetime billing and I, I think it really does live up to that
0: Michigan State also has one of the most hilarious fourth down calls I've ever seen. It's fourth and five, last play of the third quarter, and they run like an end around, but to the running back who's already in the backfield, and it goes absolutely no. It like loses two yards, and I just remember thinking like, okay, this that's the Pretty game. <laughs> like it just a terrible call. Yeah, you. We could talk about this game for an hour great. because there, there's there's so many things that I think. Not only just in a vacuum are fun to watch about this game, but in the big picture, like I said earlier, this is the game that sparked the title run. They had to win it, and honestly, this was a defining game for Urban Meyer. That if they wouldn't have won this game, not that he gets fired or anything, because he would have been around. But what? That's an interesting alternate timeline. That the year after they lose to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship, what if they lose here? My- they have two losses. They probably don't get into the Big Ten championship game because I think those were the those were the only two losses Michigan State had all year, and the only other one was against Oregon. So they wouldn't have had any conference losses. You know, maybe they play Baylor in the Cotton Bowl, but they wouldn't have had any high-level wins. Really, I know Minnesota was was good that year, but they wouldn't have beaten a top-level team. And things would have just been a lot different. So it was. It was so imperative that they win this game and like you said earlier, it was a twelve point game, but by the fourth quarter, Ohio State had imposed their will and it felt like a thirty point win. I mean, they really put it on these guys in the second half and kinda did whatever they wanted. Yeah,
1: and I, I think that, you know, that's a pretty interesting hypothetical. That's that's certainly something where um, my guess would be that in twenty fifteen they're better than they were in real life where they're, they're not playing so tight. Yeah. They're not focusing on this grind. They're still doing the thing where they're trying to get to the championship and trying to get to the playoff. And um, I would imagine that that's the main change. Who, who knows if maybe that makes Ohio State better in the long run or if they still experience a post-championship drop-off just a year later. Um, but I, I, do th- I do think that this is probably one of the most important games, not just of Urban Meyer's time at Ohio State, but of – Ohio State football's history. I mean, you know, like you said, if they lose the game, they don't go to the playoff. They don't win the uh, the inaugural playoff championship. They don't have any of that happen. And um, I, I think that that run really, you know, that that championship run really serves as kind of the defining thing for the Urban Meyer era and kind of a thing to to hold on to because without that, obviously, it was just a an era where there were a whole bunch of wins and they couldn't quite get the big one, you know, and 2014 provided that, that big one in this game, I think really served as the, that helped them do that.
0: Long story short, this game kicks ass. Go watch it. My (laughs) personal favorite of Ohio State's in the Urban Meyer era, and maybe of all time, it has immense replay value. You're going to see big plays. You're going to see fun offense. You're going to see kind of the birth of Ohio State as we came to know them in uh, 2014, so...
1: Oh, and there's a um, there's a 30-minute version on YouTube that's really awesome. If you don't have a ton of free time, just watch the 30-minute version. It, it gives you everything you need.
0: Yeah, it's good, and it, this this game is definitely one that'll get you fired up, I think, for this se- There's some even old games you watch that are like, oh, man, I'm ready for the season yeah. to start. I feel like this is one of them because it's such a big win, and it's not like going back and watching a national championship game or a bowl game. This is just a very fun regular season, heavyweight fight game. And I know I always love watching it because it reminds me the night I was just screaming <laughs> at the television mercilessly,
1: very yeah. drunk. Yeah. It's very good. You should watch it.
0: <laughs> All right. That's that's about it. We'll, we'll wrap up there. I, I think we did about 30 minutes on each of these games. We're starting to really climb through. A lot of these games left are probably going to go a little bit longer since they're they're so good, but they're all very deserving, and we can't wait for you to hear these next eight games we're talking about. The top five are probably just going to get their own episode anyway, so be on the lookout for those. We're going to get this series done before the start of the season, so got a lot of great content coming your way, so keep up with all of our list at Land Grant Holy Land, and by subscribing to the show, just go to Apple Podcasts, search hang out in the Holy Land, find this episode, all of our old episodes and everything else we got going on, on the Land Grant Holy Land podcast network and follow along at Spotify. That is the easiest way to follow along with the show. Just search Land Grant Holy Land, subscribe to the show, follow along. All of the new episodes will pop up in your podcast feed and you can find it there and contribute to the discussion. Follow us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. Let us know what you think of the list patrick that's all i have man
1: yep that's all i got i think that this is a um this is an episode with with two really really good games in it and um next week's just looking ahead Ooh, next week is gonna be a banger we're not gonna we're not gonna give away what they are but um there's another from this 2014 season and a game that we referenced a couple times in this episode and that that should be a pretty good uh a pretty good indication oh man yeah Yeah, yeah, I
0: just saw it. This this is a good (laughs) one. All right, well, we're going to do that next week, so be on the lookout for that. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this is The Hangout in the Holy Land.